Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Tremendous Sunday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you with a terrific show, and we've got a terrific guest for this terrific show. It's Minty Betts. You may know her from her Twitter videos by the pool giving out picks. She does a tremendous job of just interacting with people and a very knowledgeable handicapper as well. She's going to be joining me in the second segment. That should be a lot of fun. We're just going to talk about how she got into betting and just a little bit of advice for new time bettors as well. So I think that that's going to be terrific in the final segment. I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. Did not get any Twitter questions into the Twitter mailbag. You can always feel free to tweet those in at GUNIT underscore 81. So, without further ado, let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to find some trends and become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. The day started off with the Toronto Blue Jays winning their ninth game in their last 13 contest as they take down the New York Yankees by a count of five before the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen has been nails recently, and technically they wound up going seven innings since they had an opener, but Jacob Wagespak wasn't necessarily long for this game. He's been doing a good job for this team. He winds up going three and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs, but the guys from there were able to do a very good job of being able to hold down the fort from there. The rest of the team goes three and a third innings, giving up just one run in the process to a Yankees team that had entered into this day playing over 74% of their road games to the over, and the Yankees, whenever they had used an opener, had been 10-0, and they wind up getting a good open from Chad Green, but it's just a couple guys giving up a couple too many 
runs as Adam Adovino in his inning wound up giving up two runs. And then you had Stephen Tarpley come in and he wound up giving up two runs in two and a third innings as well. But for the Yankees, their pair of home runs came off the bat of Gio Urshela, his 17th of the year, and Gary Sanchez fresh off the injured list, his 25th. And the Blue Jays got a home run of their own from Teoscar Hernandez, his 18th, as this team really seems to be finding itself, even though the Blue Jays still won the bottom five teams in the league with regards to batting average at home. The LA Angels had been really scuffling going into their game against the Boston Red Sox, having lost 12 of their last 14, including five of those games being against the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles, but they were able to really rock the Red Sox by a count of 12-4. to 4. The Red Sox have, by the way, now played about 63% of their home games to the over as Scott Travis really had the big shot of this game for the Boston Red Sox, his fifth of the year. That's the only thing they really had to cheer about as Rick Porcello continues to not be a good pitcher. 567 is his ERA. He goes five innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. And then you had the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox go a combined four innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned in the process. For the LA Angels, you did have Justin Upton and Mike Trout going deep. His seventh for Upton and 39th home run of the year for Mike Trout as he's been amazing. And then Andrew Heaney's first start off the injured list, you could tell he was on a pitch count. Three and two-thirds innings, gave up one run, and an Angels bullpen that has not been good recently was not bad in this one. It wasn't terrific, but five and a third innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Not necessarily a bad sign there. And for the Angels, they were 4-7 of seven with Ben in scoring position, despite the fact that they scored 12 runs. That's just absolutely unreal. And what else is unreal is how bad the Boston Red Sox bullpen pitching has been recently. The Giants pitching has been pretty good, though, and they wind up getting a 3-1 to one win over the Philadelphia Phillies for the Phillies. In their last 24 games, they've scored four runs or fewer in 16 of them, and the Giants continue to play a lot of unders at home. This is a team that's averaging right around 3.3 runs per game at home. On the road, they average more than 5.2, so clearly it is a pitcher's ballpark out there in San Francisco, and Jeff Samarja took full advantage. This is a man that has given up more than three earned runs in one out of his last seven starts, and he goes eight innings, giving up two hits and just one earned run. In this one, it was for the Philadelphia Phillies getting a solo home run. Corey Dickerson in seventh of the year. Low in form of offense for this team as the Giants were able to get a save out of Will Smith. The Giants continue to have the second-best bullpen out there in the big leagues. And for Vince Velasquez, not a terrible start, not a great one. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, of which were earned, including two home runs. For the San Francisco Giants, going deep was Evan Magoria, fresh off the injured list, his 14th of the year, and Kevin Pillar, his 15th. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, a team with one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues, they go combine three innings. Zach Eflin is now out there in the bullpen, by the way. They do not give up a single earned run, but the Phillies just continue to scuffle on offense. Speaking of teams scuffling on offense, the Detroit Tigers, as they are scoring the fewest runs out there in the American League, and they get shut off by the Kansas City Royals by a count of 7-0. Mike Montgomery, who entered into this game with an ERA well north of 6, winds up getting 12 strikeouts, goes 7 innings, and gives up 4 hits. From there, the Kansas City Royals bullpen, one of the worst out there in the league, goes 2 innings, not giving up a single run. And for the Kansas City Royals, they were able to get a deep shot in this one. Jorge Soler is 33rd of the year. That came off of Spencer Turnbull. Once again, Spencer Turnbull, not a bad start. He goes six innings. He gives up two runs. But this is a man that in his starts is getting right around 3.1 runs of support. And he didn't get any help from the bullpen either. As in the three innings that he wasn't in the game, the bullpen winds up giving up five runs, three of which were earned. And for the Detroit Tigers, they've had a combined six hits. This is just a team that's not generating any offense right now. The offense was generated late in the Atlanta Braves versus Miami Marlins game. This was 0-0 zero zero going into the top of the 8th inning, and yet we get a 7-6 final easily flying over the total. As for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get some very good clutch late hitting, including a home run 
from Curtis Granderson off of Anthony Swarzak. His 10th of the campaign as the Miami Marlins wind up going 5 of 11 with men in scoring position. It feels like they're just scoring all their runs in the final two innings. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but a bigger indictment in this game is how bad the Atlanta Braves bullpen has been recently. They're a bottom five team in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break, and it wasn't on Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka, once again, a tremendous start. Seven innings pitch, gives up three hits, no earned runs, and that bullpen winds up giving up all seven of those runs, six of which were earned, but it really should be all seven because Sean Newcomb was the guy that created the error that scored the unearned run, which I always find weird that they score a pitcher's error as an unearned run, but that's beside the point. And for the Atlanta Braves, they were able to get their offense going late as Jorge Camargo wound up getting a clutch three-run home run, his fifth of the year off of newly acquired Ryan Stanek from the Tampa Bay Rays. Ryan Stanek had really been the opener for the Tampa Bay Rays, so I'm not sure why he was dealt, but at the same time that is the case and I didn't even know he was dealt until this game but for the Miami Marlins, Sandy Alcantara was able to give a lot of length at a decent start in two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, and then the bullpen from there. Two and a third innings, all three of those earned runs were given up by Ryan Stanek, but they managed to get the job done in this one, and the Atlanta Braves now 23-8 and as a road favorite this year. A team that has been doing a very good job on the road is the Houston Astros. And in a start in which Aaron Brooks had, his team lost by three touchdowns. That sounds familiar from his days with the New Orleans Saints, but this is not the former Saints quarterback as the Houston Astros win by a count of 23-2 for the Baltimore Orioles. Aaron Brooks wound up giving up three field goals in three innings, four home runs. And then from there, you had the bullpen that included Stevie Wilkerson having to record the final four outs, going a combined six innings. In the process, they wound up giving up 14 runs, all of which were earned. For the Baltimore Orioles, Rio Ruiz got his sixth home run of the year, but for the Houston Astros, just an absolute hit parade. Jose Altuve is 20th home run of the year. Carlos Correa is 16th. Alex Bregman is 28th. And Jordan Alvarez goes deep not once, not twice, but three times. Now his 17 home runs on the year. And Aron Sanchez, newly acquired from the Toronto Blue Jays, winds up going five innings, giving up just one run in the process. You had Joe Smith giving up that home run to Ruiz out of the bullpen, but... Man, the Houston Astros are just absolutely rolling right now. The Cleveland Indians had been rolling going into their game on Saturday against the Minnesota Twins, but the Twins were able to cool them down 4-1 to the final in this one as the Cleveland Indians still have the best record in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June, going 41-18 and in that time. But for the Cleveland Indians, just not a lot of offense in this one as they went 1-12 of with men in scoring position and left 10 men on base. And that was in support of Adam Pluko who had his struggles in this one. Six innings pitch, gives up four runs, all of which were including two home runs for the Cleveland Indians. Best bullpen out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA. They wind up not giving up any runs in two innings, but Going deep for the Minnesota Twins, Max Kepler is second home run of the year, and Marwan Gonzalez is 13th as Jake Odorizzi, a guy who has really had his struggles the past two months or so, winds up giving a very good start, five and two-thirds innings, doesn't give up a single run. You had Sergio Romo giving up a solo home run out of the bullpen, but that was it. For the Minnesota Twins, as going deep for the Cleveland Indians, Yasiel Puig is first as a Cleveland Indian and is 23rd of the year. Speaking of acquisitions, Tanner Rourke was one for the Oakland A's, and he could not get the job done against the Chicago White Sox as the A's fall to the White Sox by a count of three to two. The White Sox, by the way, have scored three runs or fewer in 20 out of their last 29 games, and four runs or fewer in 21 of them. But for Tanner Rorick, he goes six and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned. He was hurt by a error by the catcher, but 
He was actually pretty solid in this one. It's going deep for the Chicago White Sox in this game was Eloy Jimenez, his 19th of the year. But for the Chicago White Sox, Rinaldo Lopez winds up giving a very good start. He goes six and a third innings. He winds up not giving up a single run. This is a guy that ever since July, ever since the All-Star break, has put in five starts. He's given up two earned runs or fewer in all five of those starts, so he certainly has been good, and the White Sox bullpen has been very solid themselves. They did wind up giving up two runs in two and two-thirds innings, but they were both unearned, so the White Sox continue to have a top seven bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break, and they just continue to play a lot of unders as the Oakland A's continue to struggle to hit right-handers. Bottom five batting average in the league with regards to hitting righties. The Milwaukee Brewers have been struggling in a variety of facets in baseball, but they get a 3-2 win on Saturday against the Texas Rangers. As for the Rangers, their two runs came off of solo home runs. Sinchu Chu is 19th home run of the year, and Danny Santana is 18th. You had Adrian Hauser, a guy that's really struggled in the starting role, give a tremendous start for the Brewers. Six innings pitch, 10 strikeouts. He gave up one run. That was a solo home run. And then Drew Pomerantz out of the bullpen also gave up one of those home runs. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that was without Christian Yelich, they got a home run off of Keston Hira, making me say, hip hip hurrah, his 14th of the year. And that came off of one Pedro Bayano as Bayano in this one. Well, it's not long for this game. Three innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Got to give it up to the Texas Rangers bullpen, though. A combined five innings, giving up just one run in the process. So they did their job, but the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen, very solid as well. They go and combine three innings, giving up one run. This is a Brewers team that ranks in the bottom eight in regards to the big leagues in bullpen ERA since the All-Star break. A team that has been in the bottom three with regards to bullpen ERA in the big league since the All-Star break. And all year long has been the Washington Nationals. And it once again let them down on Saturday as the New York Mets have now won 15 out of their last 16 games, getting a 4-3 win. And guess who gave it up for the Washington Nationals? Fernand, oh no, Rodney. He doesn't record a single out. He gives up two runs, one of which were earned. And that was after Patrick Corbin went six strong innings, giving up two runs, both of which were solo home runs. For the New York Mets, their trio of home runs came off the bat of Wilson Ramos, his 13th of the year, J.D. Davis, his 14th, and I hope I'm saying this one correctly, Luis Guillorme, his first home run of the campaign. And for the New York Mets, they got a very good start out of Noah Syndergaard as well. He goes seven innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then Seth Lugo gave up a solo home run out of the bullpen. As for the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto hit both those dingers, his 23rd and 24th home run of the year. But for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that they themselves struggling to be able to put runs up on the board. Six out of their last nine games have went under the total. Speaking of teams that have been playing a whole lot of unders, how about the St. Louis Cardinals as they get a 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates for the St. Louis Cardinals. Over the course of their last 14 games, they have played just two overs, and it was really another great pitching performance as Adam Wainwright, guy who has really struggled on the road, has been magnificent at home. Six innings pitch, he gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run as providing that boom for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Adam Frazier, his sixth of the year, but then the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a top six bullpen out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA, go combine three innings, they don't give up any runs. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they really didn't get a lot going. They had just seven hits, but the Pittsburgh Pirates committing an error really helped out this team as well. As for Joe Musgrove, he goes five and a third innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The bullpen from there of Francisco Lariano and Kyle Crick go two and two-thirds innings without giving up a single run, but this is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that has been absolutely woeful since the break, going four and 23 since then. Needless to say, that's not good. The Chicago Cubs 
also have not been good whenever they've hit the road, and they just get completely shelled in this one by a count of 10-1. to 1. This is a Cubs team that has won over two-thirds of their games at home. Meanwhile, their road record now sits at 22-35, and 35, and Kyle Hendricks has been absolutely lights out at home on the road. He's got an ERA that's approaching five, as in this one, he winds up going two and two-thirds innings, giving up seven runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. Then you had the bullpen really have to provide a lot of innings as Dylan Maples winds up getting four outs. He gives up two runs, both of which were home runs, and Alec Mills winds up having to put out the fire with four innings, giving up one run. The lone bright spot for the Chicago Cubs was Kyle Schwarber getting his 27th home run of the year. That was in the ninth inning as well as they were getting shut up before then as Sonny Gray. Six innings pitching this one, gives up two hits. He has been lights out this year. And then you had Romano coming out of the bullpen, giving up that solo home run in three innings of work. And for the Cincinnati Reds, you had a lot of deep balls in this one, including Artias Aquino going deep not once, not twice, but three times. The young outfielders of the Cincinnati Reds really come into form. He now has seven home runs on the year. Eugenio Suarez also went deep his 32nd of the year. And Kyle Farmer got into the act his seventh home run of the campaign. Getting into the act of knocking off the Rockies at home was the San Diego Padres, 8-5 to five the final. And this one is the Colorado Rockies have now won just three out of their last 18 road games. And for the San Diego Padres, it was a couple guys that went deep in this one. Will Myers, a guy that has struggled all year long, his 14th home run of the year. Manuel Margot, his 10th of the campaign. And Hunter Renfro, his 31st. As for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team with the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. And they wind up going three innings, giving up three runs. And Chichi Gonzalez, didn't really give a good start in this one. He goes five innings, giving up one of those home runs, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. The Colorado Rockies were three of eight with men in scoring position. That had been an issue for them. They got two home runs themselves. Yonder Alonso is second of the year, and Nolan Arenado is 26th. But for the San Diego Padres, it was Chris Paddock giving up one of those home runs. He went six innings, giving up three runs. Nothing great, but nothing awful. And then the bullpen gave up two runs themselves. But they certainly got more than enough out of their bats to be able to get this win. And the Colorado Rockies just continue their free fall. The LA Dodgers continue to win at home. They wind up getting a 4-0 win over the Arizona Diamondbacks as the Dodgers at home have been the best team with regards to that record in the big leagues. They are now 47-16 and in home games and they were able to get a very good start out of Kenta Maeda, a guy that's been a little bit hit or miss recently. He winds up going 7 innings, giving up 3 hits, no earned runs. Bullpen from there was able to hold it down, including Kenley Jansen giving a clean inning. Something we haven't seen a lot of recently and something we have seen a little bit more of, Max Muncy. He gets his 28th home run of the year. That came off of Alex Young, who really struggled in this one after giving a bunch of good starts. He wound up coming back to earth. He goes three and third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were including that home run. Got to give it up to the Ears and the Diamondbacks bullpen, though. Four and two-thirds innings for them. They don't give up a single run and just won it in the process, but the Ears and the Diamondbacks went very dry with their bats. This is for a team that actually hits better on the road than they do at home, and the Seattle Mariners have not been able to win at home. They haven't been able to win on the road, and they've been playing a whole lot of overs. They've played nearly 64% of their games to the over, and this game goes over, and the Mariners once again lose 5-4 to the final as the Tampa Bay Rays were able to get this win with a trio of home runs. Mike Zanino is 8th of the year, Kevin Kiermaier is 12th, and Avisel Garcia is 16th. The Seattle Mariners wound up using Matt Whistler as an opener, and he was actually pretty good. Two innings pitch, he gave up no earned runs, but Tommy Malone, for the fourth time over his last seven appearances, gives up five or more earned runs. He did that over the course of four innings, giving up all three of those home runs. 
Needless to say, that didn't go well for them, and the Seattle Mariners were able to get a deep shot in this one over on Navarro's the 17th as Charlie Morton gets the win in this one. He wasn't necessarily sharp, though. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which weren't including 10 strikeouts, but how about the bullpen of the Tampa Bay Rays going three scoreless innings, not giving up a single hit in the process. So, what did we all learn from Major League Baseball on this Saturday? The Toronto Blue Jays appear to have heated up, and the New York Yankees finally lost the game with an opener going. The Boston Red Sox are really struggling whenever Rick Porcello takes them out. The San Francisco Giants are continuing to get great pitching, and they're continuing to play a lot of unders, as seven out of their last eight games have went under. The Detroit Tigers continue to just be a completely helpless bunch, and they are now 8-33 and in their last 41 home games. The Atlanta Braves bullpen continues to be a dumpster fire. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins continue to put up runs late in games. The Houston Astros love putting up touchdowns on the Baltimore Orioles as the Orioles don't have a whole lot going, but Aaron Sanchez does. The Cleveland Indians continue to get great pitching, but perhaps Jake Odorizzi is due in for a turnaround. Rinaldo Lopez has really turned things around. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's are having a tough time hitting righties. Perhaps Adrian Hauser is becoming a solid starter for the Milwaukee Brewers. And for the Texas Rangers, perhaps there's something to be had with their relief pitching, but the offense certainly in a little bit of a kerfuffle as they have played four out of their last five games. The under, the New York Mets just continue to roll. Meanwhile, the Washington Nationals, well, that bullpen is still very suspect. What else is very suspect? The Chicago Cubs and the way that they play whenever they're away from regular field. The Pittsburgh Pirates have just been a complete hot mess ever since the All-Star break, and the St. Louis Cardinals continue to play unders at home. They have the highest under percent at home out there in the big leagues at nearly 64%. The Colorado Rockies just continue to lose games on the road. The LA Dodgers continue to win games at home, and the Seattle Mariners just keep finding a way to lose games and keep finding a way to play overs. So that is what we all learned out there in Major League Baseball on Saturday. Now let's learn a little bit more about Minty Beds, and let's just have her give some advice to some new bettors out there and explain how she got into sports betting. That is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Bet. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is a great pleasure to have on our next guest. You've probably seen her on Twitter because she's been doing a great job of interacting with her followers. A little bit of a new baseball better to the Twitterverse, but certainly one that does a great job of just being interactive, giving out some nice plays, and just giving out some informative videos on betting in general. You can follow this fine lady at Minty Bets, as it is Minty Bets joining me right here on the podcast, someone that's doing tremendous work, and it's just refreshing to see a female in the gambling world as well. Minty, how are you doing today? Good, I'm doing great. How are you, Greg? I'm doing fantastic as well. Thank you so much for joining me, and like I said, you're doing tremendous work out there in the sports gambling world. As we know, there's not too many females that get into this, obviously. Obviously, I feel like I'm saying something controversial, but at the same time, it is the truth. But you've done a tremendous job of not only showing that you're a woman that could be in sports betting, but you are very knowledgeable as well. How did you get into sports betting? Oh, that's so sweet to say. Well, I've always been into sports betting. I've always been intrigued about it ever since I was little. I don't know if you caught my segment on VSIN, but I was always in the sports book and the casinos with my dad as he ran in to get his ticket and came out. Then when I turned 21, I would just aimlessly bet on teams that, you know, I had feelings on. I never knew there was really any stats to it or any like method to betting on sports. So recently, I just 
you know, nothing was on TV except baseball. And honestly, I do not like watching baseball, but all my shows are done and I wanted to make baseball more fun for me. And I remembered NFL season, what a rush I got when I had money on the game. So that's when I started getting to MLB and doing more research and just, you know, kind of took it from there. I started this Twitter, I think exactly like two months ago, and I just posted my picks and my tickets just to attract other sports bettors and follow them back to see what their method of picking their teams were and uh, just to learn more. And it kind of grew from there after I posted an intro video of me at the pool. (laughs) Oh, that is absolutely tremendous as I know that you also work out here in the fine city of Las Vegas as well. And I know that you've become a little bit of an influencer for people and they make their bets and everything like that. You just mentioned your father. How did you really get into sports betting? And are there other people that you tail slash look to for guidance with regards to your bets? Because you are a little bit newer to Twitter. I just want to see how you got into it in general and who some of the people that you look to are, because I do find it so fascinating and how you got into this. Um, You know what? My dad, but he influenced me in a way not to bet. So really my dad, some of the followers I have on Twitter, I tell a couple people who I'm not going to name, but I do tell a couple people sometimes and I do look out for their information sometimes just to kind of sway which way I'll go that day, whether I want to take it or leave it. We do have Minty Betts joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Does tremendous work giving out some free plays out there on Twitter. You can catch her videos every single day at the Minty Betts on Twitter. And she is joining me right now. And Minty, I think that we would both agree that the best way to handicap is just through trusting in your own numbers and your own research. I know that there are so many trends out there in baseball. It makes it so hard to keep track of. We're always looking for value and everything like that. But what is your personal handicapping style? Because I've noticed that it has evolved a little bit. You were at the beginning really only taking full games and everything like that. You're now taking some first fives. How have you really been changing your handicapping and taking it game by game and looking at every game as its own living, breathing entity while believing in yourself. Yes, I totally agree. And like I mentioned, I've noticed that you have been evolving a little bit with your betting. You had a little bit of not so great success when you were doing just full games and full games strictly. Now you're taking a little bit of an F5 approach as well. What have you really learned? Because I found that with my own sports betting, the best way to learn was to take some losses. I feel like you might be coming from the same cool thought as well. Uh, Yes, yes. I think the whole month of April I lost. And yes, you're right. I did used to bet full games a lot, but then I found the teams, my nemesis teams, that their bullpen would really like screw me over the last, you know, half of the game. Those are the Nationals, Braves and Mariners. I've been on the couple times that they've had those no hitter situations. So those are teams that I stay away from. Yeah, lately I've been doing the first fives or the first five overs and that's been doing really well for me. I don't really have a specific team that I love to bet on, but definitely it might be a little square of me, but any great pitchers that I see, I will sort of lean towards. And I also do notice that with your picking, you oftentimes do take a little bit of favorites, but at the same time, you're not really someone to get very juice heavy. This is something that I always advocate for. There is always value at some point with some of these games. Some of them have a higher threshold than others, but 
Is there a certain number in which you'll just say, no thanks, I'm good with regards to the juice because even though I don't lay it very often, I will sometimes go with like minus 160, minus 170, but it's something that I don't do very often. I know that some handicappers have their own set number that they won't go past, others just play it by ear, but what's your personal approach on this? Yeah, I definitely, of course, if you bet on sports, you have to look at the value, you have to look at the lines. Anything that's like more than like minus 150, I usually stay away from. I just don't personally think there's any value in that. I love underdogs as most, I don't know, I feel like a lot of sports better love underdogs and would love to just, you know, get a ton of money for what it is. But yeah, anything less than minus 150, I'd usually stay away from. And there are days where I just don't find value in the card. I don't like the board and I will just take a break the whole day. You are a better person than I because I am just such a schmuck for having some action as I am Mr. Play Every Game Every Single Day. <laughs> we do have Minty Bets joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting, and I do find it interesting how various handicappers do their research at various times. I know that you're someone that you always post your videos during the daytime because it's always nice and sunshiny by the pool, but when you put in the bulk of your research, because I think that we would both agree, sometimes the best lines that you see are the first ones out there, and Sometimes you do notice that these lines get steamed so rapidly overnight. So, yes, I do that too. Like overnight plays, I like to do because the lines are really nice. But I don't typically place the bet overnight because I realize that I have people that actually tail my picks and that don't have the opportunity to do it overnight. So I just do it in the morning. And then, of course, there'll be times where the juice is really good overnight. And then in the morning, it's not there anymore. And then I'll just avoid it altogether. But I'm, I think I'm pretty basic when it comes to picking the teams that I want, you know, always looking at the starting pitcher, the bullpen, the lineup, you know, stuff like that, the ERAs, the batting averages of everybody. It's just a lot to look at. And I found out that MLB is one of the more challenging sports to handicap or to bet on. And it's been challenging, but it's very fun still. Well, for one, Minty, please don't call yourself basic because you are far from it. (laughs) Thank you. And I know that with a lot of betters, some of them look to fade streaks. Some of them look to back them as well. It's one of those things that's very, very unique. You've got so many trends as I was talking about a bit earlier. So what is really your approach to this? Because I know that you've been one that you've tried to fade streaks a little bit. Like I remember a mutual play that we had a few days ago is that we were both fading the Mets when they had at the time won 13 out of their last 14 games. They've continued that run recently. I thought, oh yeah, there's going to be some value here on the Miami Marlins. That did not wind up being the case. Are you someone, though, that you wind up tailing some of these streaks, or are you a little bit more of a fader? Ugh, I try to fade them, and it hasn't really worked out for me. I see the streaks, and usually, I will back in the day, back when I was 21, I would always ride the streaks like, yeah, they won 10 games in a row, they must win another game. No, I usually try to fade them or just stay away from it because they have to lose or they have to win. And I just don't know sometimes. So it's usually stressful when they're on a hot streak like that. I didn't post it, but I took the Marlins against the Mets because I was like, there's no way the Mets will win like eight straight games. That didn't work out for me. Oh, absolutely. I was seeing the value with the Marlins. I thought, oh, yay, Jordan Yamimoto has had some good starts. And I like the last name Yamimoto. So I thought that that was a good spot. And obviously we were both wrong on that. But 
One of the things I also look at is value. I was talking about if you have a threshold or not, and I'm one of those people. I think that the overall value is the most important thing. Typically, this involves taking underdogs. I'm not much of a parlay player or anything like that, but at the same time, I do think that one of the best spots for value this year was when the Mets on Monday were taking on the Marlins. You had Jacob deGrom going up against a guy in Ryan Duger, who at the AAA level had an ERA north of nine, had given up five-plus earned runs in each of his last four starts. He was essentially only a few cents more expensive taking Jacob deGrom on the run line than when Sandy Alcantara. I thought that was absolutely mind-blowing. I thought that there was great value in taking the Mets between minus 160 and minus 170 on the run line there. How do you do your handicapping? Because I do think that just overall value is the most important part of handicapping in general. Yeah, it is something I tried to take a look at this season. Again, like this is the first season I've really like dove into MLB. So it was very like, I guess like a trial time for me, I guess, because I didn't know what to expect after All-Star Games. So I really didn't know what to do, but I just did what I do normally. And some teams are actually better and some after, you know, their break and then some teams are actually worse. So it's very confusing, Greg. And though I speak so intelligently on this podcast and everything like that, I do feel like a lot of people forget that I am a second-year handicapper as well. Oh, really? Yep, so believe me, I have certainly had my ups and downs in two years of baseball betting because I do feel like this is the ultimate grinder sport. And one thing that I advise newer bettors to do is to essentially look at the baseball lines and pretend like they're playing the exact way that they would be betting all these games and everything like that for a few weeks. Learn what works, learn what doesn't, mark down exactly what lines they get, exactly what they'd play, and what the results are, but not lay down any actual money until they find their exact formula, what works for them. What would you say about a method like this, and what advice would you give to some people that are in their first year of handicapping? Because as we both know, it is very difficult to get started, because one of the big things I also advocate for is to never do parlays as well. I am like the biggest parlay hater in the world, but at the same time, if someone's cashing tickets left, right, and sideways on parlays, who am I to say that their method is wrong as long as they're getting to the window and they're making some money, especially in a sport that is as volatile as baseball? Yeah, that's actually amazing advice. And I was actually going to say, don't do parlays because, man, you can spend so much money throughout the season and never win. But, you know, like you said, there's actually people that do really well in parlays. Like, I'll have friends that send me like eight or 10 leg team parlays and they win. And I'm like, how did you do this? So, yeah, just definitely find what works for you. Definitely had very good money management. I know some people just want to lay a lot of money on a lot of different things, but it's just so important to start off kind of small and then grow from there and definitely get your feet wet find what works for you however it works whether it's parlays or just money line or however run lines or however people want to do things the over-unders I know work really well for some people and sometimes I just can't do the over-unders and yeah just find what works for you don't do parlays unless it works for you and just keep track of your money really well because then you'll lose it all if you don't. I'm someone that I don't play parlays at all, but it seems like every parlay I see always loses by one, and it always loses in heartbreaking fashion, but who am I to begrudge someone that is having a lot of success with them? Yeah. And Minty, I have truly enjoyed the conversation today. It's been really great to just talk a little bit of general handicapping with you, and I'd like to close it up with this. I know you're on Twitter at MintyBets. You do a great job of interacting with all your Twitter followers and everything like that. Where can the good people get more of you, and what's all on the horizon for Minty? Uh, Thank you. Well, if you guys want to follow me, just follow me at MintyBets. There's no underscores or spaces or anything. That's at MintyBets. Thank you. 
Terrific. A big thanks to Minty Betts for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting for that wonderful conversation. And coming up next, it is that time they give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to my friend Minty Betts for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Does a terrific job on Twitter, very interactive. And now it's time to get interactive with you guys in trying to make you guys some money as I'm going to be giving you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas Betting Board in a little something I like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at unionrscorty1. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. Some of these plays were in Wayne C mode. We've got a couple games off the board due to pitching changes. We're also waiting on some like lineup moves, line moves, everything like that. All the set numbers I get, any changes that are made, etc., etc., going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at unionrscorty1. And as per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 901, 902 on the bang rotation. It is going to be the Atlanta Braves, and they hit the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. For the Miami Marlins, it's going to be Hector Noisy going for them. And Mike Fultonavich is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. If you like the Braves, you're going to be laying quite a bit of juice here. That is anywhere between minus 190 and minus 205. Meanwhile, the plus price that you're going to be getting with the Miami Marlins is anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. Total on this game is 8.5 with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And this is a spot where I've got to look at the Atlanta Braves though. The Braves' bullpen has not been good recently. We saw that yesterday when they gave up four runs in the ninth inning to force extra innings. And Mike Fultonavich Let's face it, he has not been good this year. 3-5 and five record, 626 ERA. But I will say, in his first start since coming back up from the AAA level, he did only give up three runs in five and a third innings against a formidable Minnesota Twins lineup on the road. He was able to get the win there. Meanwhile, with no AC, this is a guy that just for his career has not been good. He's made one start for the team so far this year. He wound up giving up five runs of five innings in that start. He wasn't necessarily great. He wasn't necessarily awful at the AAA level. But this is a guy that for his career... 12 and 32 record, 5.35 ERA. He just hasn't had success with anyone, and the last time he was at the big league level before his last start, 2015. Not many redeeming qualities there when you have you're having to go up against guys like Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. With Ronald Acuna Jr., this guy has been absolutely magnificent. He's got over 30 home runs. His batting average is hovering right around to 295. You then have Freddie Freeman, who's been doing a great job of mashing the ball, hitting above a 300. 29 home runs for him. Ozzy Albies is now hitting above a 300. Charlie Galverson seeing more at-bats, and he's hitting above a 300. You've got Ender Enciarte and Johan Camargo now off the injured list. 
Douglas, Brian McCann's hitting nearly a 270. Josh Donaldson has been on a binge of power with 26 home runs of his own. Adam Duvall, since coming up to the AAA level, has cooled off recently, but it's still been solid. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, this is a bunch that they're not getting a lot out of their guys out there in the outfield, guys like Curtis Granderson, JT Riddle, Lewis Brinson are all, are all hitting below 200. You have Sterling Castro and Brett Anderson, both hitting in that realm of a 255 for Brett Anderson, 20 home runs so far this year. Harold Ramirez has seen his batting average dip to a 265. Martin Prado is hitting right around a 255, and then whenever you have John Birdie out there, he recently came off the injury list. He's been hitting at 300, so it's been nice, but this is a Miami Marlins team that is not trying out there a good starter. They're not backed up by necessarily a good bullpen. I think that both these starters are going to wind up giving up a lot of runs. Going to be looking at the Braves run line because I have a lot more faith in their offense and the total over. With the over, certainly would like to get a little bit less juice. Would even take a 9 and a plus price instead. And with the Braves on line, currently seeing that minus 120, certainly would like to lay a little bit less if at all possible. 903-904 on the bank rotation. This Cincinnati Reds play host the Chicago Cubs. John Lester goes for the Cubs. Luis Castillo for the Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is 9. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Cincinnati Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 132. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Chicago Cubs is going to be anywhere between plus 115 and plus 122. And I've got to be looking at the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. Luis Castillo wound up having a bad start a couple weeks ago. I believe that was against the Colorado Rockies, but all in all, for the year, he has been dynamic at home. He has given up more than two earned runs in just one home start so far this year. And then you take a look at the other side for John Lester. He's got an ERA north of a 4-3 for the year, 9-8 record, but he just lacks consistency. He's not necessarily great away from home. He's getting right around a strikeout per inning, but he also has a 141 whip because he does give up right around 1.2 hits per 9 innings. And Luis Castillo, though he is giving out 4 walks per 9 innings, he's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. And for the Cincinnati Reds, you're noticing that the young outfielders for this team are really starting to step up. Arteas Arquino wound up having three home runs yesterday. This guy since getting called up the big leagues, hitting above a 400. You also have Josh Van Meter doing a terrific job for this team. He's hitting right around a 300 plus. You've got Jose Iglesias hitting a 280. Nick Senzel has been able to pick it up. Eugenio Suarez has over 30 home runs so far this year. He's been sensational. Joey Votto's hitting a 260. You do have something to be desired with guys like Tucker Barnard and Jose Peraza, but they've all been doing a very good job out there in that lineup. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, you're still dealing with an injury to Wilson Contreras. That's why you've been seeing Jonathan Lucroy and Victor Carantini at the catcher spot. Both these guys are doing a decent job. Carantini hitting a 265, and Jonathan Lucroy had a little bit of a rough go towards the end with the Angels, but he's hitting right around to 245. You then have the guys in the middle of the lineup doing a great job. Nick Castellanos, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, all guys are in between a 282 and a 290. And in the case of Javi Baez, he has went deep 28 times so far this year. Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, both between 21 and 22 home runs. Cassianos, fewer home runs, but keep in mind, he was playing in Detroit where it's really hard to get a home run. And then you've got Jason Hayward. We got the day off yesterday. He's sitting in the neighborhood of a 275. Kyle Schwarber has a lot of home runs with 26, 231 batting average, but... 
Still does a good job of being able to draw his walks. Then you got guys like David Bodie and Alberto Amari Jr. in between a 245 and a 255 with the Reds. Their bullpen certainly has not been solid recently, but in the bottom 10 with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. And with the Cubs, I do like what they're showing me out of the bullpen, but what John Lester are you going to get? The good John Lester? The John Lester that gave up like nine runs to the Oakland A's? Or the okay John Lester? I think that you're probably going to get okay John Lester, which is not going to be on par with what you're going to get with Luis Castillo. So for that reason, looking at the Cincinnati Reds and the total under, I'd like to lay a little bit less juice with the under, if at all possible, but I have already locked in the Cincinnati Reds because I have noticed that the Sharps do not like to bet John Lester. They love to back Luis Castillo, so going to be going with the Reds and the under with the Reds already locked in. 905-906 on the bang rotation. The New York Mets are going to be playing also the Washington Nationals. On the ball, Sanchez goes for the Nets. Meanwhile, Jacob deGrom goes for the Mets. Your total on this game is 7.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is just between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 184 and minus 195. Meanwhile, if you like the plus price with the Nationals, that is anywhere between plus 169 and plus 175. Anibal Sanchez has been very solid ever since the beginning of the month of May. ZRA hovering right around at 2-6. He has been terrific. I believe that he lost his first four starts. Since then, he has been 7-2. Done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. He's giving up a little bit over three walks per nine innings, but only about 1.2 home runs per nine innings. But Jacob deGrom has the greatest ERA of any pitcher in the history of baseball with regards to day games. His day game ERA is below a two. And this is the guy that last gave up more than two earned runs in his start on June 28th. And he's given up more than two earned runs in one start since May 17th, and that was one start in which he gave up three runs. This guy has been absolutely sensational, and you know what else has been sensational? The New York Mets in general. This is a team that has now won 15 out of their last 16 games, and for the New York Mets, you're really getting things done with guys like Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil being able to pick things up. Pete Alonso has been doing a great job with his batting average hovering right around a 260, home run count of a 38, 85 RBI. Jeff McNeil on base percentage above a 400, 335 batting average. J.D. Davis has sent his batting average north of a 300 himself. Wilson Ramos, Michael Conforto, two guys in between a 264 and a 270. And in the case of Conforto, he's got 25 home runs. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat, like Juan Lagarde is still below the Mendoza line. Guillaume has been awful as well. But then you do have Amit Rosario hitting a 280. For the flip side, for the Washington Nationals, you do have Adam Eaton and Trey Turner both hitting between a 282 and a 290 at the top of the lineup. Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both have their on-base percentages right around 400. In the case of Anthony Rendon, he's got 25 home runs and 90 RBI. Juan Soto, 24 home runs after going deep twice yesterday, 77 RBI. You now have Azdrubal Cabrera in the fold. He, Victor Robles, Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, all guys hitting in that range of a 235. Jan Gomes is only hitting a 205, but Gerardo Parra has sent his average to a 250, along with Matt Adams, actually. So he certainly has been on the rise. But this is a Mets team that is white hot. You don't want to be fading Jacob deGrom. And I do think that Anibal Sanchez is going to give a good start. And you don't have to worry about Fernand. Oh, no, Rodney in that Washington Nationals bullpen. But the bullpen, ever since the all-star break for the Nationals, 
Third worst ERA out there in the big league. So for that reason, I'm going to be looking at the run line of the Mets and the total under. With the under, I would certainly like to lay a little bit less juice, and I've actually noticed that it has went from 8 to 7.5. So I do think that that's interesting. would like to see what kind of a number I'm able to get by waiting. Meanwhile, with the New York Mets, run line price I'm currently seeing is in the neighborhood of a plus 110 to a plus 115. In Wayne C mode, as this total dips lower and lower, perhaps I'll be able to get a little bit of a better plus price as it goes down further. 907-908 on the bank rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be playing also the Pittsburgh Pirates. Stephen Brault goes for the Pirates. Miles Mikolas for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Buckos, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 160 and plus 168. If you'd like to lay it with the St. Louis Cardinals, going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. And this is actually a start in which you're going to find two guys that have been very decent over the course of their last nine starts. So pretty much 18 total starts between these two guys. They've given up more than three earned runs in one of them, and that was by Miles Mikolas. I believe he gave up four earned runs at a start, so all in all, these two guys have been very solid, and with Steven Brault, he does a very good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. He doesn't give you a lot of length, but he's given up less than a home run per nine innings. The walks are high, four and a half walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, Michaelis, it's a little bit different. This is a guy that's giving up more around 1.35 home runs per nine innings, but He's giving up right around 1.7 walks per nine innings as well. 7 and 12 record, but 394 ERA. He just hasn't been backed up by a lot of pinning as both these teams since the All Star break rank in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to runs per game. And let's face it, the Pittsburgh Pirates just are not getting a whole lot generated right now. And it's because the power numbers are down. Ever since the All Star break, this team has not been able to get home runs. Josh Bell, I think, has one home run since the home run derby. For the year, he's got about 27 of them. He's got nearly 90 RBI, so he's been doing a good job in that regard. But now he's hitting a 280, which has shrunk a little bit. Sterling Marte hitting a 285. He's got 20 home runs himself, but he's been in a little bit of an outage. You do have guys like Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, Jose Azuna. They're all hitting above a 300. In the case of Brian Reynolds, a 330. Adam Frazier's been decent at getting on base. 265 batting average. You've got Colin Moran hitting a 275, and Jacob Selling's in that neighborhood as well. But with this team just not being able to drive them in it makes things tough. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals, you just have a bunch of guys in this lineup that are hitting between a 248 and a 260. Dexter Fowler, Taylor Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, Marcel Ozuna. Heck, I think my mother could come into that lineup and she'd probably be hitting 245. And in the case of Paul Goldschmidt, he had a streak in which he had seven home runs over the course of nine games, 25 for the year, 59 RBI. Paul DeYoung has 20 home runs himself. Marcel Ozuna has 21, so They've been doing a good job of being able to supply that power. You do have Matt Carpenter is really struggling. Ceiling below a 220. Matt Buiters is only getting a 230. And let's face it, Harrison Bader, it's been a hot mess. But Colt Wong, now being right around a 270. And Lane Thomas, whenever he gets at bats, he's been solid. Tyler O'Neill was giving this team a little bit of a shot in the arm, but he has not been seen from recently. But I will say this for the St. Louis Cardinals. They've got the number six bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. The Pittsburgh Pirates probably are not going to get as many innings out of Steven Brault as the Cardinals will out of Mikolas and I do think that that'll be their ultimate unraveling. I certainly don't think that we're going to see an explosion of offense after how the first two games of the series went, so going to be looking at this total under, and probably going to be locking in under 8.5 at even. 
when I came on this podcast, there wasn't quite that juicy of juice. But when you got two comparable pitchers, I know that the St. Louis Cardinals, like I said, they've got a little bit of a better bullpen. I do think that there is a chance that Michaelis gets taken deep in this one, unlike Stephen Brawlton. I think that that could be the difference in the lower scoring game. So for that reason, going to be taking a shot on a team that is 4-23 since the All-Star break in the Pittsburgh Pirates on a massive plus price. And this total under, currently waiting Simo to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And like I said, probably going to be blocking in that even juice on 8.5 once I get off this podcast. I know 9, 9, 10 on the banging rotation. The Santiago Padres play the Colorado Rockies. Herman Marquez goes for the Colorado Rockies. Nelson Lamet for the Padres. This game is presently off the board, so this is one of these games in which I'm only able to give you my initial thoughts. And my initial thoughts are that Herman Marquez, in his previous three starts before meeting up against the Houston Astros, was actually looking pretty darn good. He has been up and down all year long. Typically, you don't find a guy with a 10 and 5 record that has an ERA of a 482, but we do have that here. His last start against the Astros winds up giving up five runs in five innings, but in his previous three starts, he goes up against the Yankees, Reds, and Dodgers. Dodgers, two of which were road starts. He goes a combined 20 innings, giving up four runs. So will the real Herman Marquez please stand up? He has been doing a great job of being able to provide innings, 155 for the year. Won the tops in that regard. Denelson Lamette, meanwhile, this is a gentleman that has tremendous swing and miss stuff. He's averaging right around 12 to 13 strikeouts per nine innings. But the problem with him is walks. He's also giving up over four walks per nine innings. He has also been taken deep four times, 390 ERA. Not delivering a lot of length either. You can't rely on him really getting past the sixth inning. And for both these bullpens, they've been struggling. The Colorado Rockies since the All-Star break. Worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. The San Diego Padres for a year. Ranking the bottom half of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. The only guy that's really reliable for them is Kirby Yates. And we do know that with the Colorado Rockies, they actually have one of the best ERAs of any team out there in the big leagues with regards to when they are on the road at home. They have the worst home ERA out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, at home, they also average the most runs per game on the road. They're in the bottom eight in that regard. And it's because Charlie Blackman at home hits nearly a 370 on the road. That is much, much less. But for the year, he, Nolan Arenado, and Trevor Story all have between 24 and 26 home runs with... Nolan Arenado, he's hitting a 307. You got David Dahl has been out of the lineup recently, hitting a 300 as well. Daniel Murphy's hitting a 290. You got Trevor Story himself hitting a 280 along with Remy Altapia. You've also got Tony Walters who's done a nice job hitting right around a 280. But for the San Diego Padres, even though his batting average is right at a 240, Hunter Renfro has been great. He had his 31st home run of the year yesterday. Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer have been able to provide some RBI as well. In the case of Machado, he's got 26 home runs, 69 RBI, hitting just below 270. Hosmer is hitting just above a 280. His RBI count is above an 80. Josh Naylor and Manuel Margot, two guys hitting between a 240 and a 250 themselves. But you do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat. Luis Arias, Austin Hedges, Will Myers, and Ian Kinsler are all guys hitting at 225 or lower, but Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top of the lineup has been amazing. 19 home runs, 324 average, double-digit amount of stolen bases, does a tremendous job of getting on base, and I do think that with the San Diego Padres, they are going to have a little bit of a struggle with their starting rotation, and I do think that both these bullpens are going to be giving up a lot of runs. I know that the Rockies have been stranding a lot of men on base, but I do think that 
the walks that Denelson Lamette are going to give up are big. And I do think that Marquez, after getting roughed up in his last start, going to be able to come back and he's going to have a good one. So I do think that the starting pitching advantage goes to the Colorado Rockies. You're probably going to find them as an underdog. So early leans here are to the Colorado Rockies. If you're seeing a total on this game below 9, probably going to be looking at it over. If you're looking at a total of 9, probably going to be looking at it under. That's sort of my line in the sand on this one, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JuniorNerdScore1 for set plays there. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. You got the Philadelphia Phillies going on the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Connor Menez goes for the Giants. Meanwhile, Jake Arrieta for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game is 9. The unders are anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. This is pretty much a pick'em game across the board. If you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 104 and minus 108. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Phillies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 102 and minus 110. And I know that Jake Arrieta has been a hot mess ever since the beginning of the summer. Well, quite frankly, he's been a hot mess all year long. He's giving up just under four walks per nine innings, eight and eight record, 441 ERA. But I will say, his last couple starts have not necessarily been so bad. In his last five starts, he's given up two earned runs or fewer in four of them. I will say he's not giving a whole lot of length. He has not went past the sixth inning in his start ever since June in which he had four straight starts in which he went six innings, but in a lot of those starts, he was also getting blown up, and we know this. The Philadelphia Phillies, not quite where it is for the San Francisco Giants. San Francisco Giants, second-best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but with the Philadelphia Phillies, even though they've scored four runs in 17 out of their last 24 games, they still do have a little bit more offensive firepower. You do have Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, both hitting just below a 250 with these guys. They've got a combined 45 home runs, so they've certainly been doing a decent job there. And Corey Dickerson, since getting traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Phillies, has been doing a great job. 322 batting average for the year. Four home runs already with the Phillies. You do have quite a few guys that do a decent job of getting on base as well. In Gene Segura, Cesar Hernandez, Scott Kingray, and JT Riamuto. All these guys hitting between a 269 and a 283. Adam Asili has been doing a decent job of getting on base as well. Nearly a 270 batting average there, but then you've got guys like Roman Quinn, Sergio Rodriguez, Nick Williams. They need to pick it up with their bat. Rodriguez is hitting at 233. The other two men below the Mendoza line, which is 200. But then for the San Francisco Giants, I know that Evan Longoria and Kevin Pillar, one yard, both these guys have either 14 or 15 home runs, but you really don't have anyone out there that is hitting above a 265 for this team that plays consistently. You've got Mike Ustremski, Austin Slater, and Pablo Sandoval all hitting in that neighborhood, but then you've got a bunch of guys hitting in like the 220 to 230 range. Brandon Belt, Scooter Jeanette, Brandon Crawford, Longoria is hitting more around a 245. Though I will say, whenever you have Donovan Solano in the fold, he's been hitting above a 300 with the Giants. You certainly do have a good bullpen, but this is a spot where I do think that the Phillies are going to be able to get to Menez. Menez is a guy that has only had a couple starts out there in the big leagues. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful. Just two starts in his young career. Gave up two runs in five innings against the Mets. Other start against the Nationals. Gave up five runs in six innings. This is a guy that was pretty good at the AAA level, but having given up four home runs in 11 innings in a pitcher-friendly ballpark doesn't necessarily lend itself to success. And I do think that the Phillies are going to be able to get something going here. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Philadelphia Phillies in this spot. And I'm going to be taking this total over. With regards to the total, wanting to see if this sticks down a little bit more because it's opened up at nine, seeing a little bit of seam 
coming into the under. I'm also seeing a little bit of money coming in on the Giants as well. So in Wayne Seymour on both of these, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a better line. 9-13, 9-14 on the banking rotation. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing OC Arizona Diamondbacks. Mike Leake goes for the D-backs. Hun Jin Ryu for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 8. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Dodgers, well, you're going to be laying a big price here. That is anywhere between minus 220 and minus 240. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Arizona Diamondbacks, anywhere between plus 190 and plus 210. And I just cannot, and I just cannot grow the cojones to be able to bet Mike Leake in this spot. Hunjin Ryu has been absolutely sensational ever since the beginning of the month of April. He's had one start in which he's given up more than 200 runs, and that was at Coors Field. The guy has given up 16 walks in nearly 136 innings. Meanwhile, Mike Leake, he's given up over 20 home runs so far this year. He's got a 9-8 record between his stops. 424 ERA. His first start with the Diamondbacks wasn't great, wasn't awful. Five and a third innings, giving up two runs. And he's just been a little bit up and down. We remember in mid-July, he had a complete game shutout against the LA Angels. In his start before then, he wound up giving up four runs while recording two outs against that very same team. So you just don't know what you're going to get from him game to game. And with the Arizona on the Diamondbacks, you sort of do know what you're going to get from the offense because this is an offense that ranks in the top 10 with regards to home runs per game when they are on the road. And that is headlined by Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte. With Cattell Marte, 24 home runs, 316 batting average. Escobar hitting at 275. He's went deep 25 times. You now have David Peralta back in the fold. He's hitting just above a 280 along with Wilmer Flores. You do have two guys in Jake Lamb and El that are very interesting. They're both hitting between a 225 and a 236, but both have on-base percentages above a 365, so they just find a way on. Then you've got Christian Walker, who's got 20 home runs. He's hitting just above a 250, and joining him in that neighborhood with regards to averages, Tim LoCastro and Gerard Dyson, guys that have been sort of in and out of the lineup. And then you also do have Adam Jones, who's hitting a 265 in his own right, but with the LA Dodgers, this is a team that enters into Saturday's action 46-16 and 16 at home. And it's for good reason, because you've got Justin Turner, Christopher Nagarin, and Alex Verdugo. And I know that Verdugo's a little bit banged up, but all these guys in between a 285 and a 295. You've got AJ Pollock, who's hitting a 250, but he's done a great job against lefties so far this year. Cody Bellinger just continues to be Cody Bellinger. 318 batting average. He's got 88 RBI, 37 home runs. And then Max Muncy has done a great job with his power, 28 home runs, 260 batting average. You bring in Tyler White, a guy that wasn't necessarily able to pan out with the Houston Astros. as got a couple guys that need to pick it up with the batting average as Austin Barnes, Russell Martin and he are all hitting below a 225. But Corey Seager hitting a 265 in his own right. And then whenever you got Will Smith at the catcher spot, he's been doing a good job as well. And the Dodgers, I know that Kenley Jansen has not been reliable, but with Hunjin Ryu, you're going to get a lot of innings. I know that Mike Leake is a little bit of an innings eater himself, but hard to have any faith in that Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen as well. So for that reason, going to be looking at the run line of the LA Dodgers, and I'm going to be taking this total under. Noticing a little bit of money coming in on the over, so I'm in Wayne Seymour there. I'm with the Dodgers. Currently seeing a run line price between minus 115 and minus 120. If I'm able to get anything better since it is such a low total, that'd be great. But at the same time, probably going to wind up locking in that minus 115. As we move on to 915-916 on the bank rotation, the Boston Red Sox play OC LA Angels. Patrick Sandoval goes for the Angels. Meanwhile, Andrew Kashner on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. 
If you're looking at this total, it's a little bit high because it's 12. The over is anywhere between even at minus 110. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. If you like the Boston Red Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Angels is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 137. The Angels were able to do a good job with their offense yesterday, but keep in mind, this is a team that has lost 11 out of their last 14 games. Five of those games were to the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers at home, but I will say Patrick Sandoval, who wound up having an opener go for him in his last start, did not look bad. Five innings pitch. He winds up giving up two walks, no home runs, two earned runs, but I will say, at the AAA level with Salt Lake City had an ERA approaching five. Meanwhile, Andrew Kasher, ever since he joined the Boston Red Sox, he has been a hot mess. In his five starts, he's given up at least three earned runs at every one of them, and he's given up at least four earned runs in four out of the five. He just has not been able to recapture that magic that he had with the Orioles, giving up right around 1.4 to 1.5 home runs per nine innings. But what I will say is that he is backed up by one incredibly lethal lineup, one that includes J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. All these guys have between 25 and 27 home runs, and all our guys are hitting above a 300. I will say that Rafael Devers got the day off yesterday, so that hurt them a little bit, but guys that did not get the day off were Mookie Betts and Christian Vasquez. Those two, along with Andrew Benatendio, was also out of the fold, hitting between a 280 and a 285. Brock Holt is hitting above a 300. You do have then Sandy Leon hitting below the Mendoza line, Jackie Bradley Jr., a 220, but even Michael Chavis hitting a 225. He's got some power along with Scott Travis. And then for the other side, for the LA Angels, we all know what Mike Trout is able to do. 39 home runs. He's got over 90 RBI. He has been sensational. Then you've got Brian Goodwin and Shoy Otani both hitting at a 285 to back him up. Daniel Fletcher, a 280. Got a couple guys that really do need to pick it up with the bat. You've got Justin Upton, Matt Theus, and Wilfredo Tovar, who are all guys hitting at 220 or lower, but it was encouraging to see Justin Upton have a good game yesterday. Cole Calhoun and Albert Pools are two guys that are not necessarily hitting the best. We're both hitting between a 230 and 240, but Cole Calhoun, 25 home runs. Albert pools, 18 of them. He has been getting a lot of days off to be able to preserve himself. And Luis Arangifo hitting at 235 for the Boston Red Sox. Their bullpen has not necessarily been sharp lately, but for the LA Angels it's been even worse. And I do think that this is a game in which runs are going to be a plenty, but I do think that Andrew Kasher does settle down and I do think that he's going to be able to give a quality start for the Red Sox. And I think that the Red Sox win a game by a count of something like 7-3. to three. So I do think that it is going to cool down a little bit for the Angels in this spot. So for that reason, looking at the run line of the Boston Red Sox and taking the total under with the under I'm currently seeing it dip lower and lower as it opened up at 12 so likely going to be jumping on that minus 110 juice and then with regards to this run line currently seeing at plus 105 I have noticed a little bit of money coming in on the Angels so I'm waiting to see mode there trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a better price 917-918 on the bank rotation the Baltimore Orioles play also Houston Astros Justin Verlander goes for the Strohs Escher Wojciechowski goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and plus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying a big number here. That is as high as $4 in some spots. You're able to get it as low as minus 350. Meanwhile, if you like the Orioles, you're going to get anywhere between plus 280 and plus 310. And I am the schmuck that's going to be going with the Baltimore Orioles. Justin Verlander has been absolutely sensational, though I will say in the month of June, he in all but one of his starts did wind up giving up three plus runs, and we all saw what the Houston Astros were able to do yesterday, scoring a combined 23 earned runs. It was absolutely sensational. Verlander 
268 ERA, 0.81 whip, but I will say this, he's giving up right around 1.9 to 2 home runs per 9 innings, and ever since the All-Star break, he has been sensational, giving up 5 runs in 5 total starts, going at least 6 innings in every one of them, and in all but one of those starts, he had at least 10 punch-outs, but for the Baltimore Orioles, you actually do have a little bit of offense with this team. Trey Mancini has been doing a terrific job of doing a little bit of everything, batting average just above a 275, 27 home runs for him, and then Renato Nunez has been able to go deep for this team quite a bit. He's got 25 home runs, batting average is at a 240, but then you do have the guys that do need to pick it up with their bat. Jace Peterson, Chan Sisko, Chris Davis, Richie Martin, and Stevie Wilkerson, who actually might be a better pitcher than he is a position player. All guys are in a 226 or lower. You do have Rio Ruiz back in the fold, so that's going to be a little bit of a boost. Then Jonathan Villar has actually been hitting well. 267 batting average. Anthony Santander and Hanser Alberto are two guys earning above a 300 as well. And then with the Houston Astros, this is a team that has been on a tear. You've got George Springer, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Yuri Gurriel, Carlos Correa, all guys hitting a 290 or higher. And then you got a whole bunch of guys that went deep yesterday. Jose Altuve's got 20 home runs. Alex Bregman, 28 of them. Jordan Alvarez went deep three times. He's getting a home run every 10 at-bats. This guy's been absolutely insane. You got Josh Reddick hitting a 270. Yuri Gurriel is right now like the number seven to number eight hitter. He had eight RBI in a game a few days ago. The catcher spot is not giving you much with guys like Martin Maldonado and Robinson Chirinos. But past that, everyone is getting the job done. And you now have Oledmiz Diaz back in the fold. He's hitting a 275. But with the Houston Astros, I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time against Wojciechowski. I know that Wojciechowski has been giving up the deep ball himself, giving up over two home runs per nine innings, but we do remember a couple weeks ago, he wound up going seven and a third innings against the Boston Red Sox, and he gave up just one hit with ten strikeouts. He has been much better at home than he has been on the road. On the road, this guy's been a little bit of a hot mess, and his last two starts at home didn't necessarily go well. It combined eight and two-thirds innings. He gave up nine runs against the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays, but I think that he's going to have a bounce-back start here. I do think the Baltimore Orioles are going to get the deep ball going against Justin Verlander. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking a massive plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles, and I'm going to be taking this total over. I think runs are going to be a plenty. With the Baltimore Orioles on this plus price, I am in wait-and-see mode. I don't think that the public is going to be so daring as I am to take the Baltimore Orioles. And with this total, it started out at 10. It is already down to 9.5, so I'm in wait-and-see mode to see if this just continues to go lower and lower. 919-920 on the bang rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays going to be playing also the New York Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka goes for the Yankees. Trent Thornton for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 10.5 and the juice is a little bit of everywhere on this game as we do have a 10 showing up as well. On the over of 10, that is minus 115. The under on 10 is minus 105. With the 10.5, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and even. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 110. If you're looking at the New York Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 159 and minus 165. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Toronto Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 145 and plus 152. The Blue Jays have been able to take each of the last two from the New York Yankees, but Sean Reed Foley and Jacob Wagespack are certainly better pitchers than Trent Thornton. Trent Thornton has some good stuff. He's been able to get a lot of strikeouts, but this is also a gentleman that has had his struggles all year long. He's been able to cash you a couple 
good plus money tickets, but 4-7 and seven record, 5.55 ERA. And his last start against a race, he wound up giving up six runs in three and two-thirds innings. He has also been a little bit inconsistent at home. In his last two home starts, he gave up zero runs in six innings to the Baltimore Orioles. Start before that, he winds up recording a total of eight outs and giving up seven runs to the Boston Red Sox. So you don't know what you're going to get there. And he's also giving up 1.7 home runs per nine innings against a New York Yankees team that now has Gary Sanchez back in the fold. He was able to get a home run yesterday. He's 25th of the year. Gio Urshela, for some reason, had 17 home runs at the 320 batting average. I don't know what's happening there. And then DJ LeMayu, Mike Talkman, and Cameron Maven are all guys hitting above a 300 as well. But with DJ LeMayu, more around a 335. He's got 80 RBI. Then you've got guys like Aaron Judge and Didi Gregorius hitting between a 262 and a 272. Gary Sanchez himself only hitting a 230. But Brett Gardner seen his average go northward to a 260. Mike Ford is leaving something to be desired, but you still have a fearsome New York Yankees lineup that is playing over 70% of its road games to the over. Meanwhile, with the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team with one of the worst batting averages at home so far this year, and they only got five hits yesterday, but they do have a lot of power. You got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. You've got Kevon Biggio, Justin Smoke, Derek Fisher, Teoscar Hernandez, the entire catcher spot, Brandon Drury, all guys hitting a 226 or lower, but in the case of Freddie Galvis and Lords Guriel, they've been doing a great job of being able to pump out the home runs, 18 apiece for them. You've also got Teoscar Hernandez, who now has 18 home runs, Randall Gritchick, after a slow start to the year, now has 20 dingers, Justin Spoke has 18 himself, so you do have a lot of guys who are able to go deep, and Bo Bichette has been hitting nearly a 360 with an on-base percentage of above a 400 himself since getting called up to the big leagues, and these are two of the teams with top seven bullpens out there in the big leagues ever since the all-star breaks. While the starters on each team are not very good at Masahiro Tanaka, a man that has really been tanaka around. We all remember that start that he had against the Boston Red Sox in which he gave up 12 earned runs. This is a guy that's given up fewer than four earned runs in just one start since the All-Star break, and he certainly has been shelled, but this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the New York Yankees on the run line just because I have absolutely no faith in Trent Thornton, and I do think that both these teams are going to be able to hit two bad starting pitchers. So for that reason, I'm going to be looking at this total over. I'm going to be looking at the Yankees on the run line with this over. I'm currently in Wayne Simo because for some reason, this total is dipping lower and lower. Perhaps I'll be able to get an unjuiced 10 when it's all said and done. And I'm noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Toronto Blue Jays as the Yankees open up a minus 175 favorite. So holding off on both of those. 921-922 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers play host the Kansas City Royals. Jacob Junis goes for the Royals. Daniel Norris for the Detroit Tigers. Total on this game is 9. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Detroit Tigers, going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 112. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Kansas City Royals, going to be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 122. It's just so hard to get a gauge on Jacob Junis. He's done a great job of being able to cash you some plus money tickets. I believe that he's taken down the Rays twice as a big underdog. He's also gotten some wins against the Minnesota Twins, and in his last start against the Boston Red Sox, he looked absolutely terrific. He winds up going six innings, giving up one run on the road, but the problem is, his previous two starts against Blue Jays and the Cleveland Indians, he gave up a combined 10 earned runs. This is a guy that is just consistently inconsistent. 7-10 record, 488 ERA. He's giving up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, Daniel Norris, 3-9 record, 476 ERA. Certainly did not have a ideal start in his last one, going five and two-thirds innings against the Chicago White Sox, giving up four runs. But the previous starts to that, 
He had been very, very good. He wound up giving up a combined three earned runs and three starts against the Toronto Blue Jays, Seattle Mariners, and LA Angels. So he actually does seem to be finding a little bit of something. Problem is, he just hasn't really been backed up by the bats for the Detroit Tigers. This is a team that over their last 41 home games have won just eight of them. And Brandon Dixon, right now the best power bat out there for this team. He's got 14 home runs. His batting average, a 263, and he wound up getting caught stealing yesterday. That's obviously not a good sign. You do have Victor Reyes, Nico Goodrum, and Jody Mercer, only between a 247 and a 255. So they've been doing a little bit of something. Miguel Cabrera selling a 285 along with Hero Castro, but then you got the very, very famous bats of this team, though I will say, now hitting a 235 for this team is Travis Demright. He's been doing a little bit of something, but then from there, you've got the precipitous fall-off as you've got Dewell Lugo, Roddy Rodriguez, Grayson Griner, Gordon Beckham, Jake Rogers, Grayson Griner. I think I said him twice, and I don't care because they probably have another guy that's hitting below 200 that I'm not naming, and all these guys are in a 225 or lower. They have just been brutal. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, you have your fair fair share of brutal bats as well. These guys are all in a 240 or lower. Mybrius Vailora, Bubba Starlin, Ryan O'Hearn, Lucas Duda, Cam Gallagher, Chris Owings, Umberto Ortega, and Billy Hamilton. So that's obviously not ideal. But then you've got Alex Gordon, who has seen his batting average dip to a 265, but he's been doing a solid job with Merrifield, hitting above a 300. Hunter Dozier has got 20 home runs. He's hitting a 280. And then Jorge Soler has been doing a great job with his power, 255 batting average, 33 home runs, 82 RBI. But this is a spot where I do think that the Detroit Tigers actually do provide a little bit of a better bullpen. I like what I've seen a little bit more this year out of Daniel Norris than Jacob Junis just because Junis does give up so many long balls and Daniel Norris isn't necessarily the greatest pitcher in the world at being able to keep the ball in the yard. He is giving up himself right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings but he also gives up a lot fewer walks and considering both these teams do have some famine bats, I think that's going to play itself to the Detroit Tigers being able to get this win. So for that reason, going to be looking at the plus price of the Detroit Tigers and I'm actually going to be taking this total over just because the bullpens have been so bad with the Tigers plus price. I've already locked that in with regards to this over. I'm currently in Wayne C mode as I saw a little bit of money coming in on the Detroit Tigers so a lot of people have what I have in mind and I do think that this is a spot where bad Jacob Junis shows up. 923-924 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins play also the Cleveland Indians. Jose Barrios goes for the Minnesota Twins. For the Cleveland Indians it is Aaron Cavale. Your total on this game is 9.5 and, and with the 9.5 overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 meanwhile the unders anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking Looking at the Indians, you're going to get a plus price here that seems to be climbing and sinking at the same time. They open up as right around a plus 110 underdog. Now you're seeing that anywhere between plus 135 and plus 143. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155. And Jose Barrios... Throughout his career, has been a very good home pitcher. He's got an ERA right around a 3-3 at Target Field. And before his last start, in which he just got completely slaughtered by the Atlanta Braves, he had a 2-10 home ERA. Needless to say, that was greatly heightened after he gave up nine runs of five and two-thirds innings against the Atlanta Braves. But all in all, he's been solid this year. 10-6 record. 324 ERA. This is a guy that's also giving you a lot of length. He's went at least five innings in all but one of his starts, and he's went at least six innings in, I believe, all but three. So he's been solid. Meanwhile, Aaron Cavale 
over his two starts has actually been very good. He's given up one earned run in them. He's getting over a strikeout per inning. He's done a great job of not giving up the long ball, giving up none whatsoever. He was very solid at the AAA level, and he's backed up by the best bullpen out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA. Meanwhile, with the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that ranks in the bottom five with regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. And the Cleveland Indians, we all know about some of the additions that they've made to be able to bolster their lineup. You know I have a guy in Famio Reyes that has 27 home runs, only right around a 240 batting average, but he's been solid. You've got Yasiel Puig and Carlos Santana, two guys that combined for 46 home runs. You've got Yasiel Puig getting a 260, Carlos Santana 280. Jose Ramirez and Jason Kipnis have both picked it up. They both have their batting average up above a 250. And in the case of Jason Kipnis, it's approaching a 260. Francisco Lindor at the top lineup has been amazing. 20 home runs for him. Batting average above a 300. Oscar Mercado is hitting a 280. Whenever you need Taylor Naquin, he's hitting a 285. Gregory Allen is now hitting right around a 245 after a bad start to the year. Roberto Perez only hitting a 227, but he's got 19 home runs himself. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that is on pace to break the record for most home runs in a year. It's all because you've got Max Kepler and Nelson Cruz both hitting 30 home runs. Nelson Cruz been out of the lineup the past couple days, but he's hitting nearly a 295. Max Kepler more around a 265. Eddie Rosario doing a little bit of everything for this team. Hitting nearly a 285. 25 home runs. 78 RBI for him. Jorge Polanco sitting right around a 300. Luis Arreyes has an on-base percentage of a 420. Batting average approaching a 350. I hear Adrianza sitting at 275 along with Mitch Garver, and in the case of Mitch Garver, he's got 19 home runs, so you certainly do have a lot of power, firepower with this Minnesota Twins team, but I do like what I've seen out of Cavale. I don't think that Barrios is going to be as bad as he was in his last start, and I have noticed that the Indians have been struggling a little bit with their offense recently, but I'm going to take them in this spot in a lower scoring game. I think that the bullpen of the Indians, which we saw give one of the best wholesale approaches that we've seen all year long a few days ago against the Texas Rangers in game two of that doubleheader, I think they're going to be able to do enough, and I think the Twins bullpen gives this one up. So for that reason, looking at the Indians on the plus price and the total under, right now I'm seeing a lot of money coming in on the Minnesota Twins, so I'm in Wayne Seamold there. And the total just continues to climb sky high, so maybe when it's all said and done, I'll be able to even get a 10, which will make me feel even better. 925, 926 on the bank rotation. The Chicago White Sox play off the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett has me hook, line, and sinker on this game for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, Lucas Giolito goes for the Chicago White Sox. Total on this game is 9. Under is just minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the White Sox, going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. If you want to lay it with the Oakland A's, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. And Chris Bassett has been what I would consider a very generic pitcher so far this year. You take a look at his stats. Throughout June, I think he gave up two earned runs and one start in every one of them. And in every one of the other ones, he gave up 375 record, 388 has had a little bit of a tough time with the long ball, giving up 1.4 home runs per nine innings, has been doing a decent job of being able to lower his walks, but that's been a little bit of an issue as well. But you take a look at what he's done over the course of his last five starts. He's given up two earned runs or fewer in five of them. So he certainly has been coming on. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito has been hit around a little bit more recently, but he's really had three bad starts so far this year. Two came against the Chicago Cubs and one came against the Minnesota Twins. He has really been able to calm himself down ever since the All-Star break. Since the All-Star break, 
streak in four out of his last five starts. He's given up three earned runs or fewer, so that has been going well for him, and he's got a lot of strikeouts. This is a man that's getting nearly 11 strikeouts per nine innings, has been giving up 1.2 home runs per nine innings, walks still a little bit of an issue, and for the Chicago White Sox, let's face it, scoring runs in general is an issue for this team. Out of their last 29 games, they have scored three earned runs or fewer in 20 of them, and I believe that they have scored four or four runs or fewer in 21 of them, but they were able to get a nice one yesterday, and they've got one of the best bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. Meanwhile, the bullpen of the Oakland A's has been more around league average since the All-Star break. And for the Chicago White Sox, you've got a guy in Jose Abreu who's doing a little bit of everything for this team. 272 batting average. He has went deep 24 times, 83 RBI. Lurie's Garcia and John Jay at the top of the lineup have been doing a great job. These two, along with James McCann, only between a 287 and a 297. Tim Anderson has been hitting a 325. He's been a good constant, especially with Yohan Mankata of the fold. Evil Jimenez was able to get a big home run yesterday. He and Adam Engel both hitting between a 230 and a 236 in the outfield. So that leaves with a little bit of something to be desired. But Yomer Sanchez has been a little bit better. He's hitting a 250. Wong Castillo is still below the Mendoza line, which is an issue. But for the Oakland A's, this is a team that just has a bunch of guys that are in between a 245 and a 260. That's pretty much the entire lineup, aside from Jerickson Profiles hitting a 207 and Marcus Simeon, who's hitting a 275. We did see a little bit of a different catcher for this team yesterday as well. Jeff Feigley has been out of the fold recently, so you had Chris Herman and his 225 batting average out there in the fold, but you do have Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, who have both been doing a great job with their bats. Matt Chapman, 25 home runs. Matt Olson, 22 of them. He's getting one every nearly 13 or so at bats. Ramon Loreno being out of the fold certainly has not helped out this team, but Mark Hanna has also been able to supply some power, 17 home runs for him. But we do also notice that with the Oakland A's, this is a team that does not necessarily hit right-handed pitching well. Bottom five in the big leagues with regards to batting average against right-handed pitching. And for the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that was much better at home than they are on the road. At home this year, 27 and 29 on the road. They have a record of 24 and 34. So that is certainly a little bit of a big dip. And for the Oakland A's, they're above 500 on the road. But I do think that Lucas Giolito has a leg up over Chris Bassett. And I think the bullpen is going to be able to close out a lower scoring game for the Chicago White Sox. So for that reason, looking at the plus price with the White Sox and the total under, I have already locked in the under. I'm noticing money coming in on that side. So I was able to lock that in right away. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, I'm in wait C mode. This game opened up with the White Sox right around plus 110, seeing that array at plus 120. So we'd like to be able to get as much of a plus price as possible. And the final two games on the betting board are currently off the board. First one of which is 927-928. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. It is going to be Ryan Yarborough going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Meanwhile, it will be Wade LeBlanc for the Seattle Mariners as a bulk guy, but they've had to decide on their opener. The Seattle Mariners do this to us every single time. They don't know who the heck is going to open for them, and for that reason, this game is off the board. And with Ryan Yarbrough, he's only given up one home run per nine innings and 1.3 walks per nine, but he's just not much of a swing and miss guy. He's getting seven strikeouts per nine innings. He's just lent himself to a little bit of too much contact in general. I will say he's been the victim of a little bit of bad luck out there with the fielding, but he is backed up by a lineup that has been doing a pretty good job for this team. You've got guys like Avisail Garcia and Tommy Pham that have between 15 and 16 home runs. Tommy Pham sitting just below a 270. Avisail Garcia more around a 275. Matt Duffy sitting at 260. Jesus Aguiar recently picked up has been good in his tenure with the Tampa Bay Rays. So it has been short. Austin Meadows hitting nearly 290. 19 home runs for him. Willie Adamas has 15 dingers hitting at 240. Kevin Kiermaier has a batting average right around 250. And Mark Bruseo along with Eric Sogard. And Sogard's hurt by the way. But Bruseo hitting right around a 300. Meanwhile, Seattle Mariners. You're seeing a lot of guys that are just not hitting for average right now. 
Malik Smith, Daniel Vogelback, Kyle Seeger, Keon Broxson, Ryan Court, Mac Williamson, and Dylan Moore are all hitting a 231 or lower, but I will say this for Vogelback. He's been doing a great job with his on-base percentage, still above a 350, 26 home runs, 67 RBI going into Saturday night's matchup. You also have Thomas Murphy and Omar Navarro. This duo has the third most home runs at the catcher spot so far this year, and Omar Navarro hitting a 292. Domingo Santana was out of the fold yesterday, and he's been having the one of the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues. He's really slowed down since the All-Star break, but he still has 21 home runs. And then you also have Austin Nola, who in limited at-bats has been doing a great job. He and D. Gordon, both in between a 283 and a 290. So that's a little bit of something good. And J.P. Crawford's been hitting a 250. But with the Mariners, they've got one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues with the Tampa Bay Rays. A top 10 bullpen in the majors. And with the Seattle Mariners, you got to feel like these overs are going to be drying up just because their team in general is not very good. And Wade LeBlanc has actually been decent this year. 65 record, 530 ADRA. He's been significantly worse on the road than he has been at home but I will say he's given up the long ball just under two home runs for nine innings. It's more around 1.96. So got to feel like the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to get some long balls here. If you're seeing the total anywhere between an eight and a half or higher, I'd be looking at an under. At an eight or lower, I would certainly be looking under. And with this price, probably going to be looking at the Rays on the run line. Even though the two-plus run trend of this team is drying up a little bit, this is still a team that's won over 78% of its games by two-plus runs. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Rays on the run line, seeing a total of nine-plus, going to be taking it under. As always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JNR score anyone once the line is available. And we close things up with 929, 930 on the bank rotation. Mike Miner and the Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers, who trot out their Jordan Lyles as their starter. This game is presently off the board, I believe, that the Milwaukee Brewers were a little bit questionable as to who they were going to go with as their starter. I will say that Jordan Lyles for his career has an ERA north of six ever since the All-Star break, but Jordan Lyles maybe just needed a change of scenery. In his first two starts with the Milwaukee Brewers, he's actually been pretty darn good. For the year, he's 7-7, seven and seven, 497 ERA, but in his two starts with the Milwaukee Brewers, he's wound up giving up a combined two earned runs over the course of 10 innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates and Oakland A's, both road starts. So he has been doing a good job. He's got familiarity with the team. Meanwhile, for Mike Miner, this is a guy with a 10-6 and record, 306 ERA. He has regressed a little bit, but you take a look at his last start on the road against the Cleveland Indians. He did not give up a single run in seven innings, but in every start in the month of July, he wound up giving up three-plus earned runs this after he had been just lights out all year. And in the case of Mike Miner, he is giving up too many walks. He's giving up right around 3.5 per nine innings. Jordan Lyles, meanwhile, he's giving up 3.5 per nine innings as well, and he's giving up more long balls, 1.7 per nine innings. But with the Texas Rangers, this is a team that's struggling without Joey Gallo in the lineup to be able to shell out the power. Sin Chu Chu has been doing a solid job. He's got 19 home runs. His batting average is a 275. And Danny Santana has been terrific. 18 home runs, 312 batting average. Doesn't really walk a lot, but he's doing his part for this team. Then you got a lot of guys are in between a 252 and a 262. And Logan Forsythe, Delano the Shields Jr., and Noah Mazar. And Delano the Shields Jr., three stolen base in a game a few days ago, so that cannot be overlooked. You also have Willie Calhoun hitting a 280, but then you've got the guys that really do need to pick it up with the bat. Rune who has a batting average just above the Mendoza line, and has actually been the team leader in regards to home runs and stolen bases with Gale out of the lineup, but he, Jose Trevino, 
Tim Fedorowicz, Jeff Mathis, and Ronald Guzman are all guys that are in a 210 or lower for this team. Needless to say, that's not an necessary idea. Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa, only in a 226. Hunter Pence is back in the fold, but he has been really limited recently, only in a 285. And then Elvis Andrews is hitting a 280. Not a lot of power, but he's been doing a solid job of getting on base. But with the Milwaukee Brewers, you still have that man by the name of Christian Yelich. He has been out of the lineup recently for this team, but he's been hitting nearly a 330, 39 home runs, 84 RBI. But then Keston Hira, we say hip hip Hira for him. He got his 14th home run of the year yesterday. He's hitting above a 300. He has been absolutely terrific for this team. Got a couple guys that you need to pick it up with the bat as Orlando Arcia, Manny Pina, and Travis Shaw are only a 228 or lower. Mike Musakis and Yasmani Grandel have not really been chilling out the power recently. Musakis is hitting a 261 with 27 home runs and Yasmani Grandel, 19 home runs with 253, his batting average, but I feel like these two guys have a combined one home run over the last three weeks. That has not been good, but what has been good is the fact that you're getting some production out of Ryan Brown, who's hitting a 275, Eric Thames, Ben Gamble and Lorenzo Cain are all in between a 241 and a 252 themselves. And Trent Kershaw, ever since he got called up to the big leagues, hitting a 333. This is a spot where I am going to be looking at the better starting pitcher, though, in Mike Miner. I do think that Jordan Lyles is going to regress. He's going to be what his true numbers indicate he has been ever since the All-Star break in his career. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, they've had a bottom 10 bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break as well. The Texas Rangers bullpen, certainly nothing to write home about either, but I think that Mike Miner provides a little bit more length, and you got to think that the Texas Texas Rangers are going to get a plus price. And if you're seeing a total of 9.5 or greater, probably going to be taking it under as well. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORD1 for set plays there once a line is announced. And that's also where you can ask a Twitter question if you have it for this fine podcast. I'd like to thank Minty Betts for sharing her perspective on how she got into sports betting in the second segment as well. That was a terrific conversation. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.